Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan. We are live here on YouTube. I've been thinking about how, how to switch this up because I've been trying to do the old intro, but then now we're live on YouTube. So I, I'm going to give a little spiel here at the beginning. If you are watching on YouTube, if you are watching on Facebook, throw us a like. Whatever it is on Facebook, I don't use Facebook that much. Uh, and then share the show if you want to, uh, and and get the get this audience a little bit bigger because we want as many people involved as we can. You know, it's just fun. We all get to sit here and talk about Tennessee wherever you listen throughout the world. We thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I are talking everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if that sounds like something you want to listen to regularly, as I said. YouTube, share, like, review, subscribe, whatever you got to do over there. And then the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple and Spotify. Subscribe there if you only want to listen. YouTube if you want to see our faces. And then uh, if you subscribe on those platforms, you won't miss our shows when we're live at 4 p.m. on Mondays. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach PNT, at A to Z Sports. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville. And A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff that Zach and I write. On the internet. The bye week has come and it has gone. It was nice, Zach, to step away. The wife and I went up uh, to Townsend right outside of Knoxville, made a day of it, and then came back and watched a little football to end the day. And it was great to just be able to, you know, like breathe and not have extreme anxiety on Saturdays. That's like, you know, that's just a plus. Sure, I, I don't have to work. I don't have to do my show with Crompton, and that's that's nice. But although I, I like doing that show, Crompton's a great dude, and we have a good time always. But uh, you know, hey, that was good. Just just to be able to, <sighs> we don't have to sit there pulling our hair out watching Tennessee football. But the stress is back, baby. It's LSU week. Tennessee travels to Death Valley this week uh, to play the LSU Tigers. Tennessee is favored. In that game, and we're going to talk about it all. This is a huge one, uh, but we'll break it down. Zach, what's up, man? Yeah, um, it was a fun Saturday of watching uh, football that kind of got a little crazy Saturday evening. I mean, Georgia nearly lost. That LSU-Auburn game kind of started out looking like it was going to be a blowout. LSU comes back. Uh, it was a good, good Saturday of football, and it, it was nice to relax and not have to worry about a Tennessee game, no anxiety, uh, no working on, on that type of stuff. It was it was fun to sit back and, and watch it. You don't don't get too many of those Saturdays when you do this kind of line of work. So it was uh, quite enjoyable. It really did feel like there was going to be the handouts to Tennessee Saturday. I mean, <laughs> realistically, uh, Georgia almost lost to Missouri, as you said. What in the world? LSU slips by. Uh, Auburn after going down by 17 points. One that doesn't look so hot. Uh, Pittsburgh lost to Georgia Tech, who just fired their coach. And maybe that's a spot where it's the you fired your coach, they feel inspired kind of a game. Who Or Pittsburgh's not that good. I mean, who really knows? But regardless, uh, yeah, it was a pretty crazy Saturday that ended up not being that crazy because nobody actually came through for Tennessee. Ultimately, <laughs> Georgia came back. Missouri blew it. What is Eli Drinkwitz even doing? Punting there at the end, thinking he would get the ball back. I mean, 
I, I don't know. This isn't a Missouri podcast, but what are you even doing over there? I, uh, I have plenty of thoughts about how stupid all of that was. But, uh, oh, and I, I didn't see this. Did, did Dish? Michael Allen says, glad you all got to enjoy it because my Dish contract with Disney screwed me up. Yeah, apparently, like ESPN, just Saturday morning, they were like, oh, wait, ESPN's gone now. <laughs> like, well, just, you know, screw it's us. It's so, so frustrating when that happens. It, the 2020 season, the COVID year, and I have uh, direct TV is what I use and, and have used for a long time. And it's more just out of habit and, and laziness at this point, to be honest. But in 2020, I remember they had kind of went through the same deal. I think it was CBS that they lost. And I was scrambling at the last minute trying to figure out a way to watch the Florida game uh, that year. And I finally finally got it streaming on my phone and had to cast it to my television. It was delayed. It was a nightmare. The game was a nightmare. So it kind of uh, fit the theme of the afternoon. But that is very frustrating when that happens and you – it usually happens right about the time the game's getting ready to start, and you got to try to figure out a way to, uh, to to watch whatever game you're trying to watch. Well, I think they did get it figured out, so at least there's that. Uh, but always good to just get toyed around with. You know, it's not like we have a choice. Well, I guess you do have a choice. You could just get rid of it, get something else. But um, I thankfully I got YouTube TV. Uh, they did have the games on there. Uh, but regardless, LSU coming up this week. Probably a a similar sort of feeling, I think, around Knoxville this week uh, to the way that ten- Tennessee fans felt about Florida. Just maybe not as uh, doom-minded <laughs> because <laughs> the history is not there with LSU, although there have been plenty of wild games with LSU. The last time Tennessee played in Death Valley was the old uh, mm-hmm. 13 men on the field with freaking Dooley. Um, and somebody... Was tweeting about that today. Was it you, Zach? Mm, not today, but not I have today. recent. Oh, Josh Pate actually. Uh, Maybe, yeah, uh, yeah. He he tweeted out this the video as well today. Twelve years ago, that was. Yes. That's I. I was in college watching it at a friend's apartment. We Tennessee got to stop with thirteen men on the field, and a whole set of people that we were watching the game with. We all got up and we were like, "Yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, we won, we won." A whole set of people like ran out of the apartment and they're like circling in the street, like freaking out. And then slowly people were like, wait, 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 wait. And everybody came in and we had yeah, I had dreams a, crushed. <laughs> I, had a, I had a similar experience. I was watching, I had a, a, a bunch of people over, over at the house and this was uh, pre having kids. And it was mostly non-Tennessee fans that, that I was watching the, or had this with. So I was kind of up in the house watching the end of the game by myself, or maybe there was one or two other people, saw the stop, immediately went right back outside to where people were like gathered around the fire and stuff. I had no idea that Tennessee lost the game until like an hour later. Uh, it was like saw it on the bottom, like old school, saw it on the bottom of like the ESPN ticker at the bottom. And I was like, immediately like going to the internet to try to figure out what happened. It was... Uh, one of the more interesting and devastating losses uh, in a decade that has had lots of devastating losses. That one uh, is right at the top of the list. And the irony of it is the way that they lost to UNC in the bowl game later that oh. same season, uh, which really wasn't Derek Dooley's fault, but, you know. Yeah, still. the old 
Tennessee gets screwed so badly that the rules of college football get changed. Yes. Classic stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks to Dooley, but uh, that is in the past. Uh, Good Lord. Thank goodness. Um, The last time they played LSU was almost as crazy with the uh, weather going crazy in Knoxville. uh, And and Brady Hoke decided to just go ahead with the second half and not not kind of delay it there. That was about as wild of a scene as I've ever seen. It's going to sound really douchey. I was in media at the time sitting in the press box for that game. And I literally sat and like ate a cookie as I watched the entirety of Neyland Stadium just get <laughs> drowned in rainwater. <laughs> and I was just nice and dry, just sitting in the, in the press box. <laughs> nice. Sorry to anybody who was there, though. I, I didn't, you know, that, that's what I was doing at the time. I'm sorry. I would have been out there with you had it been now. Yeah, that's one of the few uh, advantages there of covering the team is you're not in the elements. But if you've ever been in the press box at Neyland, you you were so far removed from the action because the press like box is – it's like it's in the clouds it almost feels like. It's so high up. And that is the one thing about covering a game at Tennessee that's not that enjoyable is just how far away you are from the action. Like you really do need binoculars to fully understand what's happening on the field and, and to to differentiate the players from each other at times. It's always my primary complaint because like, you go to a game in like Titans Stadium in Nashville, you're a lot lower, yeah. you know, a little, a little more field level and they're the, the windows open, but yeah, 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 the Neyland press boxes, like I said, some, it's like a graveyard in there. It's totally silent. Mm-hmm. Unless, way. unless uh, Auburn's in town and they're, they're beat writers <laughs> almost cheer for the team. Oh yeah. Kentucky as well. <laughs> those two, for sure. I've been, yeah. I've been in press boxes with both of those and there's a lot of cheering going on with those, uh, those individuals well anywho uh we're gonna talk about it all uh we'll go off of this ben hall says we're clearly better than you Jaden daniels wait better than lsu i mean we're clearly <laughs> better than lsu <laughs> Jaden daniels isn't even a poor man's anthony richardson we'll get into that i, I mm-hmm. want to talk about it all um and uh, before we get down that rabbit hole i gotta tell you about super book sports our amazing sponsor can you beat Vegas this football season? Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms. No guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. Download the Superbook Sports app right now. Or visit the Superbook or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. Superbook Sports and Superbook.com. Uh, Tennessee opens as a three and a half point road favorite over LSU. Who would have thought before the season started? That that would be the case, but uh, here we are, and you can go over to Superbook bet on that game. Um, I think some some of the games that people maybe thought were going to be more interesting this week, like say Texas A and M and Alabama, uh, might not be as close as we were uh, maybe hoping. Uh, since Texas A and M, I you know Jimbo just refuses to run a offense from this century, and you know good good for them, I guess, but. Regardless, Superbook.com, go download it. Help them out because they're helping us out. And uh, let's get right to it. Tennessee, LSU. What we're going to do for the show today is uh, give our quick take on it and then three 
keys for Tennessee to win this game, just like we did a couple weeks ago for Florida. It went great. Then we'll give our prediction for the game. Um, but j- just lay some groundwork here. This is a discussion that I, I wanted to have before we get into the nitty gritty of like this matchup with this player with LSU is to just think about this. If you're a Tennessee fan, cause I, I was doing a show earlier today um, for, for my friend, Mark Rogers, great. Another YouTuber on here, go watch a show if you don't. Um, but I, I hadn't thought about it, but this is the truth of this situation with LSU. If you beat LSU this week, and then your only loss for the rest of the season is Alabama or the rest of the season up to the Georgia game. And I believe the Georgia game is the second to last game of the season. It's really late this year, if I'm thinking correctly. Am, am I wrong about yeah, it's that? In no, it's in November. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure exactly we, but it's, it's, it's into November. Yeah, it's really late. Um, but uh, if Tennessee only loses to Alabama for the Georgia game, the Georgia game will be for the SEC East. You, in year two with Josh Heupel, have the potential to actually contend for an SEC championship with Georgia being this juggernaut that it's become with this town. Of course, they almost almost lost to Missouri. Do it that way you will. But, uh, I mean, how? I I thought about that today, and it had not crossed my mind up until I was doing that interview earlier today. What? How is that even possible? That's real. You can lose to Alabama and still contend for the East this year. It's absolutely insane. Uh, so there's, I mean, there's going to be a lot of riding on every single game from here on out. But just think about that. If you pull off this big win, that's what's on the line, man. It's absolutely crazy. No, it's a massive game uh, from that aspect. Uh, could put Tennessee in a position that we didn't think they would be in. Also, it could give Josh Heupel something we were texting about yesterday. Could you have Josh Heupel his third win over a ranked opponent on the road? And he would be the first coach to do that since Philip Fulmer did it uh, between 1992 and 94. Three road wins against ranked mm-hmm. opponents in your first 18 games. Uh, Fulmer did it with a couple of wins against Georgia, and I think they they beat somebody else. I'm not can't remember who in, in 93 there. Um, but. I mean, Almost 30 years since somebody's done that at, at Tennessee, and as many coaches as Tennessee's had over the last t- 15 years, 10 years, it, it's kind of insane that that is is the situation here for Hypo. But it, it's a it's one of these games where I don't really know what to expect. It's kind of like the Florida game where I thought I was going to learn a lot about Tennessee in that Florida game, and I, I really didn't. They just, I mean, I learned that they they know how to win an ugly game. And I kind of have the feeling that this game could turn into that again. Just the way LSU plays, they force a lot of turnovers, but they, they're not real good on offense. They don't really have an identity yet on offense. They're they're not throwing the ball really well. I mean, I think they had, what, like five passing yards or something absurd in the second half against Auburn, which ironically was uh, the lowest amount of passing yards that a team has had in one half in a win since LSU beat Tennessee in that 2017 monsoon game, which was really? a, a bit more understandable given the situation. There wasn't a lot of throwing going on in the second half of that game. But uh, so I, I do think it has a potential to turn into kind of an ugly game, but Tennessee won games like that against Pittsburgh and Florida this year. 
games where things didn't necessarily go to plan for Tennessee, but they still found a way to win. So I think the experience in those games is really going to serve Tennessee well, not only the rest of the season, because you got some games on the schedule outside the Alabama-Georgia game. You still got Kentucky game that could get ugly. Perhaps this Missouri game is going to be a little more difficult than we anticipated, though I think the situation there – With Georgia, uh, the way some people put it is it's a terrible place to play. There is no atmosphere there. You go to Columbia where there's nothing, and you sit around all day in a hotel if you're Georgia because the game wasn't until Saturday night. Uh, It's just an odd vibe. And Missouri's defense last year was terrible. They get a new defensive coordinator in Blake Baker, a guy that doesn't really have a great reputation. I mean, he was demoted at Miami when Manny Diaz was there, kind of spent a year as a position coach at LSU. Not a guy that you really associate with these great defenses, and they kind of had their way with with Georgia's offensive line. So was that an aberration? Is that indicative of Georgia having some weaknesses up front that is kind of a surprise to people? You know, maybe we'll find out more as the season progresses, but – uh, that was certainly an interesting outcome, but that's, you know, that Missouri game now, I kind of look at it a little bit different. It is at home. I still think Tennessee wins that game. Uh, I'm not saying anything like that, but there's a lot of ugly games on the schedule that, that Tennessee might have to win this year. Oh, yeah. Hey, no, nothing about this is going to be easy. Um, yeah, your favorite going to LSU. Yeah, the time works in your favor. The 11 a.m. start time works in your favor, but this is – Never going to be some kind of cakewalk, even when you're playing, you know, a, a Missouri, even if they stink out loud. Like, it's just not – that's SEC football. But I, I – when I look at this, you win this game, 10-2 and two is the most likely outcome. I, I do think you'll probably beat Kentucky because it's at home. If it, if it was in Lexington, it'd be tougher, but you, you beat them in Lexington last year. And, and that game's in Neyland Stadium, and that's easily the, the toughest game outside of Alabama and Georgia if you if you just sort of default call those losses, even though I think Tennessee really could be competitive at both this year. But, uh, I, I mean, 10-2, that, that's – it'll almost be disappointing if they don't hit 10-2 if you win this game. Like that's, No, for sure, because you're going to be favored. You're going to be favored in every game, but that Alabama and, and Georgia game, unless things just go completely south for Tennessee. You're going to be favored against Kentucky at home. You're going to be favored against Missouri at home. You're certainly going to be favored against South Carolina and Vanderbilt on the road to end the season. So, yeah, if you win this game, I think ten and two has to be the expectation, and that's, you know, that's based. I don't think that's putting too high of expectations on Josh Heupel. I think those expectations are based on what we've seen him do. And it's like, yes, this team is capable of going 10 and two and and possibly getting to the sugar bowl and winning 11 games. I mean, which is insane to think about considering where the program was, you know, less than two years ago, never thought we'd be sitting here having this conversation, like a legitimate conversation about this. This isn't just us being Tennessee fans and throwing out these, absurd expectations that just aren't realistic. I mean, I'm not, it's not like we're sitting here saying that Tennessee's got a chance to make the playoff, even though they are in a position where a few things break their way. It is technically still possible. I don't expect it to happen. I don't think Tennessee has the depth uh, to make it happen. I think that's where Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, uh, some of these teams, they, they have the advantage where teams get beaten up late in the season and they got the guys that can still go out there and compete. I mean, 
already saw today that Tennessee lost Warren Burrow for the rest of the season. And say what you will about him, but I think Tennessee missed him against Florida. And they're fortunate that they're supposedly getting D. Williams finally ready to play this week, the junior college transfer that uh, got high hopes for. But still, that that losing Burrow hurts your defense a lot. I mean, that's that's a significant depth piece in a position unit where you didn't have a lot of depth to begin with. So that's probably what's going to hurt Tennessee later on in the season against a team like Georgia. Going to going to keep that playoff thing probably from happening. But I still think ten and two is you win this week. Yeah, I agree that that does kind of become the expectation. <laughs> I... I was thinking, was talking to Austin Stanley and, and Crompton, Jonathan Crompton, and you know we were like, oh yeah, I'm already talking myself into like an 11 and one season. How Tennessee could pull it off? Yeah, mm. just t- typical Tennessee fan stuff. And I, I was thinking like the the most amazing way that this could shake out if you obviously outside of going undefeated, which I think is would be is a a little above what we any of us need to be expecting of Josh Heupel this season. Yeah. Um, the ideal outcome would be you you beat Alabama, then you lose to Georgia. It's in Athens. I mean, that's just a bear of a game. You lose to Georgia, and then uh, Georgia loses the SEC championship game. So then you make the playoff. Georgia doesn't make the playoff, and Alabama makes the playoff after winning the SEC championship game. So you kick Georgia out of the playoff. Tennessee mm. makes it in, hey, and Alabama makes it in. We've seen it before. I mean <laughs> – what was it? it LSU, so amazing. Was it LSU or Alabama in that? Was it the 2011 season when LSU and Alabama didn't they play each other in the championship game that year? Like it was a rematch of of the SEC yes. championship game or something? Or or no, it was a rematch of their regular season meeting. But one of them didn't reach the SEC championship game, and because of that, is the reason that they were actually able to like back into the into the uh, BCS championship game at that time yeah that that's the only reason that alabama has not missed the playoff uh was because of that they ended up backdooring their way in that year and the thing with tennessee is that if they're 11 and 1 and there's another and they don't you know get to the sec championship game and there's another 11 and 1 team i think i mean i know it's not supposed to work this way but i think just the the idea of having tennessee and this insane fan base uh, in the playoff is very appealing, and I think Tennessee would kind of trump whoever else was at eleven and one to get. I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, and that's a that's a well crazy scenario that would have to play out. But it is, I mean, it is a conversation worth having because Tennessee is a top ten team, and anytime Alabama or Georgia plays a top ten team, they're on upset alert, and everybody in the country's hoping that they get upset. So, I mean, this is. Tennessee beats LSU, and this is the conversation that's going to be happening nationwide uh, ahead of that Alabama game on October 15th. Yeah, Tennessee being good is a gift to ESPN, to CBS, to anybody like that, because the fan base is just so rabid, and they, they're just a magnet for drama. And so, like like you're saying, their other fan bases want to tune in and see Tennessee lose. Uh, or they're like kind of uh, cheering for the underdog story, whatever it may be. And then obviously Tennessee fans, I mean, you just look at that Florida game, the amount of mobilization within the Tennessee fan base, just how they will travel, how they will spend money, how crazy rabid they are uh, on social media, wherever it may be watching the game at home. It's absolutely insane. 
uh, and you uh, that is something that I'm sure that all of those networks and everybody is hoping will be the case is to get Tennessee back in that upper echelon because it's man it they're they're on a different plane of existence from most of college football in terms of the fan base so um that's I just I wanted to start off with that to kind of lay the stakes of this game like you really you win this and you were talking about having not just a special season but competing for an SEC East championship that's where you're at it, at that point you really turn your eyes to that Kentucky game um assuming that you lose to Alabama although again potentially winnable um, you turn your eyes to that Kentucky game and that, that becomes the hurdle to, to competing for an SEC's title. But starting, starting there, um, now for the keys for Tennessee to win this game, uh, we'll do what we did last time. We can kind of go back and forth. And this is how we can get into the conversation of the exact matchup that Tennessee has here. But just to run through some of the storylines here, Jane Daniels got hurt against LSU, the or uh, against Auburn. LSU's quarterback got hurt, may not be able to run as effectively potentially, although there's a lot of hope that he will be 100%, but he also can't throw the ball very effectively. So if he can't run, that is bad, bad news. Then the backup came in against Auburn, and he was really bad. Nussmeyer, highly rated recruit, but just wasn't it in that Auburn game. Um and so there is that factor. Then for Tennessee, Cedric Tillman has high ankle sprain, but he got the tightrope surgery uh, where they sort of tie your ankle back together. <laughs> and uh, and so he should be coming back this week, maybe the next week, maybe the week after that if it, if it doesn't progress right, but could play this weekend. Then you have Warren Burrell out, as we've already mentioned, and D. Williams according to Josh Heupel today at the press conference is coming back for this game. Juco transfer to Tennessee. He was a very highly rated Juco transfer that Tennessee picked up. He got good reviews during fall practice and hopefully, and, and you, you beat Florida without Warren Burrell. He's not an absolutely required piece, but he really would have helped with depth and things like that. But D Williams coming back kind of in his stead there. And hopefully that helps. So what did I miss anything there? I'm trying to think of anything else. Hinden Hooker potentially kind of uh, shoulder something going on there, but I that really hasn't been talked about almost at all. I think he's fine. Yeah, Honestly, he's, he, played the, he played the entire second half of the Florida yeah. game, torched Florida uh, with that shoulder. So you know I'm not putting too much stake on that. Uh, but did, I don't think I think that's it. Yeah, I mean the biggest thing is Tillman, and sounds like Jaden Daniels is going to be pretty much a full go based on what Brian Kelly said earlier today. I mean, he got banged up like like Hooker got banged up kind of, but it's still expected to go and and be his normal self. Him coming out of the game and staying out of the game in a really pivotal situation makes me think that they may be downplaying that. Uh, you know, he's, Could like, oh, be. No, he's fine, he's fine. He's fine. But, eh, you know. He kind of reiterated, though, that Jaden Daniels was his guy. And I don't know if that had to do with Nussmeyer not looking good great the other night although i think nussmeyer is better than what we saw in that situation i think lsu is just not really i don't think brian kelly who is a very much a ceo type head coach he is not it's not necessarily his offense it's not his defense i mean this is matt house's defense this is mike denbrock's offense their offensive coordinator which is a whole nother story because brian kelly once demoted him 
at Notre Dame. And then he spent a year kind of in, in a demoted position. And then he went to Cincinnati uh, where he had some success there. And a lot of that, I believe, had to do with Desmond Ritter being their their quarterback. But it is kind of odd that, that that's his guy whenever he's kind of demoted him before uh, at, a, at a major program. Um, but I, th- I think that's probably the situation there with Nussmeyer maybe, and, and maybe with Jaden Daniels to some extent. I mean, I, I feel like he's a better passer at Arizona State. And admittedly, it's not like I was watching a yeah. lot of Jaden Daniels at, at Arizona State, but the numbers sure certainly look better. And they've also got a like a five-star freshman, true freshman on the bench in Walter Howard too. So, you know, Tennessee and backup quarterbacks, you got to be <laughs> on alert for that guy because – could possibly stick the guy in there that nobody's heard of, and all of a sudden he's just these LSU. I mean, LSU's loaded with these five-star wide receivers. You got Kayshawn Boudet, who hasn't really performed as we expected this season. I mean, this is a guy that two years ago against Ole Miss had over 300 receiving yards in a game. I mean, he can be an electric player, one of the best players in the nation. I'm not sure what's up with him, if there's something – kind of between the ears, not not kind of on the same page with, with LSU staff there. I know him and Brian Kelly kind of had a little mm, a rough beginning, I guess you'd say. I remember Brian Kelly received a question about him early on during his tenure, I think last year during spring practice or right when he got the job, and they asked him about Kayshawn, and he said, you know, I know his name. That's about it right now. And it kind of insinuated that there wasn't a lot of communication going on between the two. So he's not the only one they got. They got Malik Neighbors, who's looked good. Brian Thomas, who's a big all wide receiver, five-star guy. Um, so they got playmakers out there. They got talent. They just haven't been able to put it together, it seems like. I mean, that against Auburn looked really rough, not able to move the ball in the air very well. They're having to rely on Jaden Daniels running the ball a lot, and Auburn was able to hold him to – what, three, three, what, 3.7 yards per carry. So his best running game was really against Florida State in in, in that early season game. So I, I, LSU, they're, they're hard to figure out. Like they got all the pieces. They just haven't put it together yet. And that that can be a scary thing because it's, it was kind of the same situation with Florida and Anthony Richardson where he had this kind of coming out party against, against Tennessee. And I didn't think it was because Tennessee – I mean, they had some lapses on defense, but Richardson made some good throws. He made some back shoulder yeah. throws that were impressive. I mean, he looked like a legitimate NFL prospect, uh, like a guy that with his size and his athleticism, if he cleans some things up, he can be a guy that makes it at the next level. I mean, he's still developing, and that's part of the process. Um, and I, and I kind of get the same feeling with this LSU team. Like, they got the pieces when are they going to put it together? Are they going to put it together? You hope it's not this week if you're Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Just do it, do it a little later in the season uh, before you get that figured out. Uh, yeah, a really interesting matchup actually later in the season is going to be LSU-Florida. Pretty fascinating to see what happens there just because I think they're in pretty similar spots. But That's the same as the same day as the Alabama game, and it's a, a night game. Uh, uh, they just announced that the 15th. So, yeah, that'll be a fun one to watch. Yeah. Uh, but – Brian Kelly's just such an odd coach. He, I could absolutely see his time at LSU going very similarly to how things are going with Jimbo. Mm-hmm. He's gonna he's gonna recruit well. He's gonna get players in, but he just he thinks because he's had success that his system is infallible and mm-hmm. just 
you know, he he's pretty air. I mean, just going out and saying that, like, one of the best wide receivers in the SEC, arguably the best wide receiver last season in the SEC, and you're just like, oh, well, I know his name. I know his name. Come on. But the kid's on your team. What are you doing over there? Just, like – not paying attention to who is on the roster. I I mean, that feels like part of the reason that he's not, that Buda is not performing uh, like we expected because there's just a huge disconnect between him and the coaching staff right now. And I mean, you can put that on the player all you want, but if you're the coach, you got to figure out a way to get the best out of your player. Like you can't have a five-star guy like that, that, that everybody thinks going to be the next Jamar chase. And you're just like, hey, you got to figure it out. Yeah. You know I mean? That feels like what, that's what Brian Kelly's doing with him. Yeah, it's so strange and crazy nugs, crazy nugs in the comments. He says Brian Kelly allegedly killed a kid. Uh, frame that however you would like, wasn't it? He sent a GA up on a mm-hmm. on a windy day yeah, to film to, to film on a scaffolding tower. The tower fell over or something. Um, think about that, what you will. I just I forgot that happened actually. With Brian Kelly, but I taking all that in totality, he's just a. I I think we've well established he's not a great sort of cultural fit at LSU. Although I don't I don't know how much that matters. If you're a good coach, you're a good coach. Nick Saban's not a cultural match at Alabama, and he's the best yeah. football coach. I mean, there was no there has been no better cultural cultural match at a school in the history of college football ever than Ed Ogeron in LSU. I mean, there is not a better match. Uh, and, and we saw how that worked out. I mean, Ogeron got – he won him a national championship, but that's – Yeah. I mean, that's hard not to win hey. a national championship. You got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and 10 other NFL draft picks. I mean, I think we could have coached that team to a championship, but that fit did not matter when uh, when the games weren't being won, when discipline wasn't in the program, when it was just kind of chaos down there in Baton Rouge. I mean, they, they got him out the door pretty quick. Um, the fact that they went to Brian Kelly was a surprise for sure. And I get the feeling with Kelly, like you can't deny what he's done. I mean, he, he took Notre Dame and turned them back into a national contender. He couldn't get them over the hump, but he certainly did better than the previous coaches at Notre Dame have Charlie Weiss and, uh, the coach before Weiss was the guy ended up at Washington tower willing. I can't remember. His name. You know, what I'm talking about Willingham, something like that. Anyway, He's, he's taken Notre Dame further than, than those guys did. So he's a good coach, but I get the feeling that he's not that authentic. Like he changes his – and we've we've seen this in action. He changes his personality to kind of fit where he, wherever he's at. So it's – Yeah. Like you don't really know who Brian Kelly is as a person. And not to bring up Butch Jones, but that was Butch Jones' mentor – uh, back in the day at Central Michigan, and you see a lot of the same. Tra- I think Kelly's a much better coach than Bush Jones. A mud, it's not even close. Not even the same neighborhood. I'm not saying that, but personality-wise, there's a lot of similarities there. Like to me, Brian Kelly is Butch. If Butch had self-esteem, like Butch, yes, that's didn't good, yeah. believe in himself at all. Butch had insane imposter syndrome. Uh, and Brian Kelly, I don't think he does. I don't, I genuinely don't think Brian Kelly no. gives a crap what you think about him doing TikTok dances and stuff. Uh, and but, he shouldn't. I mean, that's your, that's what you're doing. That's what you think is going to get your recruits and all that. Like, yeah, lean into it, own exactly. it, believe it. That, that's fine. I mean, I get it. Yeah. But I, 
yeah, it is not a coincidence that Butch acted that way and Brian Kelly was his longtime mentor. So, with all that said, we do. Have do, you, to get... do you do you think Brian Kelly's embarrassed by Butch Jones? Oh, surely. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean that that's his main, the main product that's come out of the the Brian Kelly coaching tree. I mean, he's yeah. had a couple other guys, but um, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, he of... went to a major program, and kind of, they sort of act the same. And yeah, I at least I hope he is. I hope he's ashamed. He should yeah. be if he's not. <laughs> but let's get to our our three keys to this game. I think we've kind of laid the groundwork nicely. Uh, so those are all the storylines coming in. And now uh, I'll throw it to you, Zach. Your first of the three keys for Tennessee to beat the LSU Tigers this week in Death Valley, where are you going? Yeah, I mean, I think our first one's probably going to be the same. It's the same as the Florida game. You have to contain Jaden Daniels. I mean, that's his biggest weapon is running. Uh, he, he's done most – he hasn't really done a lot of damage with his arm. Uh, and, and part of that is because he's been very cautious with the ball. And if you watched Brian Kelly's media session earlier today on Monday, he, he said something that I thought was interesting, especially since we're leading into this Tennessee game. He talked about wanting Jaden Daniels to take more chances, and he's okay with him not necessarily just being careless with the ball and turning the ball over a lot, but he's okay with an interception. He's like, if you're being and and, and Brian Kelly, I, I thought made a good point here. If you're if you're being uh, careful with the ball, you're limiting yourself when it comes to big plays. Kind of what we saw under Jeremy Pruitt and the way that he wanted his offense ran with with Jared Garantano. Very much just take care of the ball. If you're being aggressive, a lot of times, unless you're Hendon Hooker, apparently, you're going to turn the ball over here and there. It's going to happen. It's a byproduct of, of being aggressive and taking shots down the field. And he wants Jaden Daniels to be more aggressive throwing the ball. Is that because he's banged up and can't run as much? Possibly. You know, that could, could go into what you were saying earlier that they're downplaying that a little bit. Or is that just what Brian Kelly thinks is going to make this offense operate the way it should and not have to rely on Jaden Daniels uh, running the ball as much? So, I'll be interested to see if they try to open it up a little more, take more downfield shots, and how Tennessee will respond to that. But you still, Jaden Daniels with his legs, I mean, he can do a lot of damage. Ran for over 100 yards against Florida State, almost 100 yards against Mississippi State. Uh, Those are your two, you know, kind of your two big games that they played. Ran for almost 60 yards against Auburn. They held him a little more in check. But that, to me, is... Same old story. You got to you can't let that guy run on like third and ten and get a first down. Absolutely, and that is certainly one of mine. This feels so similar to Florida, except I think Daniels is not as effective. He's not as physically gifted as Richardson. No. Uh, I think if he plays, if Daniels plays his best game, it will not come out the way that it did with Richardson, where he goes for five hundred yards to there, blah blah blah. No, I mean um, the most he's thrown is two seventy nine against. New Mexico. Yeah. You know, 80 yards against Auburn, 210 against Mississippi State. That game is probably a little more in line with how the Tennessee game will go because Mississippi State is different offense, but they're similar in the fact that they run a lot of plays. They typically score a lot of points. Um, LSU got the best of them a couple of weeks ago, but that's still, I think, more of what you can kind of expect in this game. Uh, so he had more opportunities to throw the ball there, but he just really hasn't been that effective at all with the ball. I mean, most of his – when he played against Mississippi State and Auburn, completion percentage went way down compared to when he 
uh, played against Southern and New Mexico and even Florida State in the season opener. He, uh, well, that that's obviously a huge piece of it for for Tennessee and this defense. But what it, what's going to be interesting to me and this this I'll just go ahead and say this. So this is one of my my keys. I'll move on. This will be my second key. So it was absolutely contain Richardson. Uh, but I, so oh sorry, <laughs> yes, to contain Jay, Thank you. We're still playing out. Uh, still playing Florida in my mind. Um, <laughs> but you gotta you gotta contain Daniels. But it really goes hand in hand with you got to bring pressure. I want to see that because when you do, it is effective. And I think you have an opportunity here if you are Tim Banks, defense coordinator for Tennessee, to bring pressure like you did against Pittsburgh. I know everybody and their mother who didn't want Tennessee to win that game was like, well, if Caden Slovis would have played. Blah, blah, blah. The reason Caden Slovis didn't play is because you were crushing his soul before he went out of that game. They were bringing heat on that kid on like every play, and it was so great to see. And Tennessee went completely away from it against Florida. I said it last week that it that game against Florida was the definition of selling out to stop the run and to whatever extent they were pretty successful in doing that I mean they held Richardson to 65 yards on the ground and really a completely non-existent running game with the running backs and I I think so LSU with their their rushing offense is I mean Daniels is their rushing offense mm-hmm. they really don't have a bell cow running back in in this game they have you know they have some, guys but yeah they, they got have dudes it. but on on the whole like they don't have a dude this like oh yeah he's gonna run all over you that guy um i mean you even saw it kind of leading up to that florida game we didn't really talk about it too much but they had etienne um and he you know he had a really good reputation coming into that game tennessee held him down but I, I just feel like, and I mean, I might be wrong about this, and Banks might might continue with that stop-the-run strategy just to make sure Daniels is contained. But bring the heat. I want to see that because this this kid, you already got him. You already got a kid here who's not great throwing the ball. And if you can get him here in footsteps, I just it's over. I mean, it, it just uh, feels like they'll, they'll have such a hard time moving the ball if you can get in his head like that. For sure. And, and one thing going in Tennessee's favor there is LSU starts two true freshmen at the tackle positions, Will Campbell at, at left tackle, Emory Jones at right tackle. And I was back and forth. There was so much going on Saturday night. I was watching, you know, LSU. I'm watching Georgia. I'm keyed in on Clemson, NC State. I'm watching my Mets completely blow the division against the Braves. And there's tons of things going on. And uh, the right tackle, Emory Jones, I noticed, gave up quite a few pressures and seemed like I think I tweeted it out. I was like, okay, Byron Young and, and Tyler Barron should have a field day against this offensive line and these tackles because they're trying to overwhelm them. I mean, they could bull rush these guys and and they're good play. I think they're talented players, but they're true freshmen. I mean, they're just they don't have a lot of experience, haven't been in strength and con- conditioning program that long. Um, I think I think that is a definite advantage for Tennessee and, and that's a, a great second key, I think, to to winning this game. Absolutely. I I do want to say this little preview at the end of the show. Crazy Nog says his prediction is 45-31 Vols. And he says, we all know Charlie's picking against us per usual. First of all, Crazy <laughs> Nugs, I chose Tennessee to beat Pittsburgh, and I was right about that. Mm-hmm. I was wrong last week. I admitted that I was wrong. I, gave, I did a whole apology tour with Crompton after the game. 
Um, I, f- I still feel like that was you falling. That was fall you falling on the sword, picking Florida. Like somebody had to do it, right? Everybody's picking it. Tennessee. Everybody in the world's like, this should be an easy win for Tennessee. They're favored by ten, and you know what happens in those situations? Their upsets happen, and you prevented that. I had to play the, the Kirk Herb Street and just give somebody who doesn't yeah. choose Tennessee. You should have been right there with Theo Vaughn dumping uh, dumping Gatorade <laughs> on Josh Heupel because you were part of that win. That's what I'm saying. I was in there. I was in the action, baby, because I I, I gave that karma out where I said, mm-hmm. I, I will not be jinxing us this week. No, no, no. Not me. Uh, <laughs> and so, but just hang out till the end. We'll give our prediction. You, know, yeah. you don't know where I'm going to go. Uh, but that that's my my second key. Bring the heat. Bring the heat. Uh, did did you concur on that one, or are you going somewhere else? Uh, no, I think it's a great key. That wasn't what I had written down. Uh, I do think it was a a great point there, and it's something that that Tennessee needs to take advantage of. My, my second key was avoid turnovers, specifically fumbles, because yeah. LSU for some reason, I don't know if it's just the way the games have gone. Again, I haven't watched a ton of LSU, so I don't know the exact specifications of each situation and play, but they forced, well, they they forced more fumbles than that, I think, this year, but they've recovered seven fumbles this year, which I think is one of the top numbers in the nation. Whatever reason, if it's the way they're flying to the ball, if that's the way they're being coached up, and we've seen Tennessee lose some fumbles, Princeton Fant, lost that fumble early in the game against Florida that just killed Tennessee's momentum when they're down in the red zone. Um, Jalen Wright has had some fumbles. Even Hinden Hooker had a fumble in that Florida game, which was more just, you know, strip sack situation. But you can't you can't give the ball away in Baton Rouge and expect to win the game. I mean, they're going to have to take care of the football and avoid uh, turning the ball over. Uh, via interception, obviously, as well, but that's not I – mean, Hinden Hooker has done great. You know, with that, he hasn't he hasn't thrown an interception this year. He's only thrown two since becoming a starter for Tennessee. Only three in his whole career at Tennessee, and he's thrown a lot of passes. So I don't I don't worry about that as much. But the fumble thing that's kind of concerning, just because Tennessee's lost some, and and LSU seems to be good at forcing them. Yeah, whatever it is, avoid mistakes. That was one of the keys that we had against Florida was play clean. And it's going to be huge again uh, in, in this one, especially on the road. And it just with the nature of Heupel's system where you are already giving the opposing team so many possessions, you cannot afford those turnovers. You just can't. And and also, I, I think you really you got to force some turnovers because that was so massive in that Florida game, that fumble. Uh, when Florida was coming down, you turn around, take a 17-point lead after the fumble. I mean, th- that can be the game win the turnover battle, play clean ball, and, and yeah, avoid it because clearly whatever they're doing is working, getting teams to cough up the ball, and it doomed Auburn in that game. I mean, I, I don't know if they were going to score anyway, but they, they, were, they were close <laughs> when they gave up the ball uh, on a couple of chances there. But um, that is a huge one. Uh, and then my, my third key to this game is something – uh, that I said in the postmortem of the Florida game, um, I said that Tennessee dictated the game. They did not dominate the game against Florida, but they dictated it. Never at any point in that matchup did it feel like Tennessee wasn't kind of in control. Like Florida was on their back foot the whole game. Even, even when Florida had the lead, you sort of felt like, okay, 
you're up they're up 14 10 but the offense is just absolutely cooking you're doing whatever you want you're getting the tempo that you want you're getting the wide open receivers that you want you're running the ball the way that you want they were dictating the game even if it wasn't a 20-point blowout now it almost was frankly it should have been a 17-point win for Tennessee had you not you know kind of imploded there at the end but um they fully dictated that game and that's where like Big Ten Jeff's been in the comments this whole time talking about how Tennessee's beaten overrated teams. Well, here's the thing. Tennessee essentially beat Florida by 17 points, and then they sort of screwed around there at the end and almost blew it. Um, but you you had a stranglehold on that game uh, coming down to the wire. And do that again and just don't implode this time <laughs> against LSU. Play the game that you're going to play. LSU's defense is better than Florida's. They, I want to say, let me take a look here. Their rushing defense is number four in the SEC, and their passing defense is number five, I think. I looked at that earlier. Yeah, number five passing defense in the SEC. They're better than Florida. So, real quick on the running defense, though. Yeah. You got to think they played Mississippi State, which is a good point. This is a good point. They do not run the ball, and Auburn, which is one of the worst offenses that I think we've seen in quite some time. I don't know what Brian Harson's doing down there, but they they try to give a game away every week and they do some really silly things like they did at the end of the LSU game where they try to run a trick play and the guy just kind of throws it right to the LSU defender, pretty much steals the win for, for LSU. So it's not like you got to take the schedule into account a little bit there. I think their defense is better for sure, but they're missing one of their best interior defensive linemen in Mason Smith, former five-star guy that's out for the season. That's a huge loss for them. They lost him in the Florida State game, I believe. So while they're better than LSU, at least we think they are, I don't think it's something where it's like, okay, this is some dominating, suffocating defense that, that Tennessee's going to go up against. No. But there, there is the potential that they will play a little better than Florida did. I mean, you did whatever you wanted against Florida. I mean, it was a hot knife through butter in that game. And I don't think it will be as easy in this one. And Hinden's going to have to have another huge game. And I think he's really going to have to utilize his legs. I think he, he also really needs to emphasize protecting his body. Um, don't take yeah, hits. We got to get him sliding a little better. Oh. It's, it stresses me out every time. He he has these great runs, and then he takes a huge hit, and you're just like, oh, no, no, please get down. And, he, you know, and he got injured, what, twice last year at different Somebody, points. Like, they, uh, in our, our group text that we're in with Austin Stanley, he, he pointed out how Jalen Hyatt rarely gets hit hard. He always gets out of bounds or gets away from mm-hmm. the hit, and that's it's such a smart way to play. Like, it's protecting yourself. It's protecting the ball. So maybe he needs to take some pointers from Jalen Hyatt. Exactly. Just protect the body. Uh, so mine is dictate the game, and that's all going to be on the offense. The defense, LSU is going to get theirs. Uh, it just with this defense, your <laughs> secondary is just flat out bad right now. Maybe the defensive line really steps up. I like Danny, Danny Pritchard here says pressure, 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 and more pressure. I absolutely agree. That was my second key to the game. Maybe they do bring pressure and they're crushing Daniels and they can't move the ball at all. Maybe that essentially happened against Pittsburgh. So maybe you have a replay of that. But this time, unlike the Pittsburgh game, if they give you that opportunity where they're not doing anything on offense, crush them. Win this game by 20. Like, go ahead and do that and just bury them um, and and play your game. Because clearly 
You have one of the best quarterbacks in America. You have, in my opinion, at a minimum, the most innovative offensive coach in college football, if not the best offensive coach in football on the sidelines. And just, you know, just win this game. Walk away. Stop making us stress out so much, please. <laughs> that's all. That's what I'm really saying by that is stop stressing me out so badly, please. Please and thank you. Um, I think my final key is something that I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, and it's just don't sleep on these wide receivers. I know they haven't done a ton this year because of the way their offense has kind of operated and they've forgotten Mbute's existed, but he's not the only guy on this team's talented. Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, Jerry Jenkins, Jack Besh, who's kind of a hybrid tight end wide receiver. Cole Taylor uh, is, is a good athlete as well. You don't want these guys to have like a coming out game because I feel like they're too talented to just disappear for the entire season. Like eventually they're going to hit their stride a little bit. I don't think LSU is going to turn into some eight, nine, ten or ten win team that that you know threatens Alabama in the SEC West or is going to knock off Alabama or anything like that. But I think they're going to improve as the season goes along. I think we've seen some improvement a little bit since the Florida State game. It's been incremental, but it, it's there. Um, so don't don't look at the stat sheet and say, okay, these guys aren't going to be that big of a problem. Let's just only focus on stopping Jaden Daniels running. Like I think you still have to be aware of the threat of, of the passing game and what these guys can do because they're all super talented. They're four high, yeah. highly rated four- and five-star receivers. I mean, those guys didn't just get to LSU and forget how to play football. I mean, we've seen a lot of talent come through LSU before, and I, I, you know, I think it's just a – the situation where they're they're building this program that it was really a disaster at the end of the Ogeron era. It wasn't as bad as like what Josh Heupel took over because there was certainly way more talent on the roster that, that Brian Kelly got. But the culture was a mess. The discipline, all that stuff was a disaster. And Kelly's kind of having to go in and just start from scratch. So they're going to get better as the season goes along. You just you can't let their coming out party be this week uh, in, in Baton Rouge. Absolutely. And I do think the underproduction of the wide receivers to a certain extent is Kelly's scheme. I think he is not good on offense. Uh, Mm -hmm. He really, I mean, you think back to his time at at Notre Dame, he was just such a huge tight ends guy with his offenses. They had some really great tight ends during his time uh, at, at Notre Dame. And he really doesn't, you look at the stats this season the number five receiver on the team right now in terms of production is a tight end who is a true freshman, Mason Taylor, um, only 106 yards on the season. And so that gives me a little solace in maybe Tennessee won't be at the receiving end of a total breakout game for (laughs) LSU's wide receivers. And maybe it is just Brian Kelly sort of screws these guys over in terms of production, but I could not agree more. Just don't let this be like with Anthony, Anthony Richardson last week, where just all of a sudden a kid who can't throw the ball. Oh wait, he's great at throwing the ball this week. And, and I maybe banks won't go completely all out trying to stop the run like he did in that game. And, and that might change things. We'll see. But uh, I, and maybe D, maybe D Williams coming back can be, Please be a factor. Please, dear God, I hope so badly that he makes a difference in this game because Lord knows those defensive backs need it. Um, it's quite but, a spot uh, to make your first career start, though, on the road, 4-0, 
team, you know, ranked matchup. It's a huge, huge game. Uh, it's, yeah, I know it's a 12 or an 11 a.m. game, but it's still going to be a good environment there, especially them coming off the win against Auburn. I think they're kind of starting to get not necessarily momentum, but I think the fan base down there is, you know, getting into it a little bit. I mean, they're frustrated with the offense, no doubt. I can understand that, but there's still a, it's still a hard place to play no matter what time of day. It's obviously easier at 11 than it is at 7 or 8 at night. But either way, it's Death Valley, and it's a road game against a ranked team. Yeah. It's not going to be easy. Um, even if you did get get the benefit of that 11 a.m. start. And so our, our three keys uh, to recap here, mine was uh, contain Daniels. We shared that one. Then I had pressure. Bring the pressure on. Daniel, sack this kid. Get him here in footsteps because he already can't really throw the ball. Uh, and and if he's going to try to run, obviously contain him. Those two sort of go hand in hand for me. Uh, and then I and then I had dictate the game. Play your game on offense and don't let them stop you. Don't go through a giant lull in the third quarter where you, you can't move the ball. Dictate it all the way through. Play your game. And, and Tennessee has a great chance to win this game comfortably, honestly, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and you know, recap in mind, contain Daniels, uh, avoid the fumbles, and don't sleep on these wide receivers. Um, go back to your second point there about dictating the game. And we talked about this a little bit before we, we jumped on here and went live. Brian Kelly today was asked about stopping Tennessee's up-tempo offense. And his answer was – it was interesting to say the least where I'm not sure that he's really watched a lot of Tennessee because he says, you know, they're lining up fast. They don't really get to, to get to what they want. The look they necessarily want either, you know, they're not going to give you a bunch of different formations and motions. And, and while it's true that Tennessee's not out there, like, you know, Matt Canada was at LSU and NC state and Pittsburgh uh, running these crazy motions and all this stuff pre-snap snuff stuff going on Tennessee's not necessarily doing that but they run some motion I mean we've seen Jalen Hyde in motion we've seen some different formations and some different looks that Tennessee gives but that's not the point I don't think Kelly understands the crux of Tennessee's offense and, and it's a simple concept with uh complex execution I, I guess is the best way to put it I mean we've you split out wide. we talked about it a lot you split out wide you get the look from the defense. They don't have time to adjust, really. They just kind of got to line up and match up to what they think you're going to do. And then your quarterback, Hendon Hooker, reads it. And it's very simple. You know, are they in? Are they loading the box to stop the run? If so, they're probably in man outside. We're going to go down the field and take a shot. Or are they dropping into coverage like we saw teams do early in the season against Tennessee, like Ball State did? Okay, we're going to run the ball. We're going to try to throw something short, maybe a screen pass or something. Uh, so there's execution there that's tough. I mean, you have to read it correctly. You have to execute the play. But the the crux of the offense is so simple when it comes to that. And Kelly doesn't seem to grasp that, that it's not about Tennessee getting in some exotic formation and this crazy complex play that's going to, you know, just pick apart LSU's defense. It's, it's, it's getting the defense in conflict with what they want to do and it goes to what you say. You get to dictate how the game goes at that point. Um, yeah, it's so like it's, Kelly. It's like Kelly seems to think that there's really no point that they're just running fast to run fast. That there's yeah, no objective behind it. 
Here's what he, he said. This is from an article you wrote on azsportsmanflow.com. Uh, said, quote, so if they're going to snap the ball 20 seconds on the clock, there's not a lot of motion. There's not a lot of changing formations. They've got to line up left to right, too. So to play fast allows you, obviously, a pretty clean look at what you're getting. But on the other side, you're right. You can't do a lot defensively. I mean, he just <laughs> – it does genuinely sound like – I don't think the guys watched a lot of Tennessee film yet. No. He, like, he might be in for a little surprise here in the next couple days. Like all he hit on was like, yeah, they go fast. And it's like, okay, yeah, they do go fast, but that's there's a reason why they go fast. And it's not just to try to tire you out. I mean, that's a a byproduct of going fast is the defense gets tired because they're not able to uh substitute. But the offense is getting tired too. I mean, that that's not the whole point of going fast. The whole point of going fast is to get get the look that you want the look that hypo wants the look that hendon hooker wants and we've seen them do that against teams with way better defenses than lsu we've seen them do it against alabama we've seen alabama defensive backs with their back to the receiver trying to figure out what where they need to be when the ball is being snapped i mean that's the kind of stuff that tennessee does to you so it's not just about moving fast it's about getting you out of what you want to do and then you get to control the way the game is is played if if hypo's system had like a logo it would just be him going like this because (laughs) he i mean you gotta think if you're him on the sidelines you get the formation that you want from the defense and you go like oh boy we're about to bomb it on these boys right here like we we got exactly what we want this is about to be a 40 yard play and josh hypo could just go Yes, the the Lane Kiffin when he when he was coaching mm-hmm. Alabama, you know, with the ball in midair, he knows it's a touchdown. Like that's that's Heupel's whole system. You get them on their back foot, you catch them off guard, you hit them over the top, you hit them on the ground. You do, like it's, it's not even that they're always off guard either. I mean, that is part of it, and we I, and you know I mentioned that with the Alabama game, but it's not necessarily just being off guard. I mean, even when Tennessee takes their time, and we've seen them do this, at, we saw them do it against Florida. Some they didn't always you know, run a play every 12 seconds. They took their time, huddled, then they get to the line of scrimmage. You know, they took a little more time. It's making the defense kind of declare what they're going to try to defend because the splits are so wide. And this is part of what gave Georgia trouble too with Missouri splits. They were so wide that Georgia was spread out so much on defense that it, I mean, that's kind of why Tennessee had success last year against Georgia uh, until later in the game. But the defense has to pick what they're going to defend. And that is, I mean, I can't imagine a scarier thought as a defensive coordinator because you don't know what they're going to do. You don't know what the offense yeah. is going to do. I mean, you got to hope they make a mistake and that you they get they turn the ball over. That's the best way to beat Tennessee. And Hendon, Hendon Hooker just doesn't turn the ball over. Yeah, the, that's been my, my take on Hooker all along. I mean, is he the most physically gifted quarterback in America? Absolutely not. But he is so good at protecting the football at seeing what needs to be seen and what we're talking about here. He, you know, and his vision in terms of giving the ball to the right person at the right spot. Um, I mean, really the, the best thing that can happen to a defense against Tennessee is that hooker overthrows his receivers. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the one gift Tennessee can give them. And otherwise, I mean, they're just in a tough spot. Otherwise, you're hoping for like a tip pass at the line of scrimmage, yeah. and it just happens to fall into the defender's hands. I mean, that's your best your best chance. Or you know, a fu- you you get to him with pressure. That's the other option. And and Tennessee's offensive line's played pretty well this year. I mean, they've yeah, yeah. It has, it's, the offensive line's kind of one of those things where 
it's almost like the referee, you, you don't want to be talked about after the game. Like nobody really talks about when the offensive line plays decent or plays pretty well and doesn't give up a lot of sacks. I mean, they don't really point it out as much. But when you give up four or five sacks, I mean, that's that's the first thing people are going to bring up. And and they've done pretty well in those situations. Yeah, the, they have. Hopefully that continues. I, I think it will outside of injuries uh, on that line. I, I like the way that Ben Hall just put it here. He said, and then civil physics kick in. You have to cover so much ground to stay with the receivers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a tough, tough spot to play defense against Tennessee. And everybody at this point has kind of learned that. Anybody that's played Josh Heupel so far at Tennessee has learned that and Clearly, Brian Kelly has not because <laughs> he, uh, yeah. He, and I don't really see a way that it's going to, you can't really figure out Tennessee's offense because there's just, there's just no way to defend it consistently every single play unless you just guess right and disguise it a certain way. But you don't really have enough time to disguise your defensive looks. Um, more often than not, you've got, safeties that aren't sure who they're supposed to be covering or if they're playing zone or man. I mean, that's what happens in a lot of these situations where against Florida, you got Brew McCoy streaking down the sideline because he just, they just forgot to cover him or Jacob Warren in the same situation where it's like, okay, who's covering the tight end? Nobody's covering the tight end. He's streaking down the sideline wide open. And all you got to do is hit him in stride and it's a big gain or maybe a touchdown. There's really no good way uh, to defend against that. Wide open. Yeah, it was so wild. He was hitting in stride and the beginner maybe. Oh, dang really- it. I had the I had the stream going again in my head where it was playing on another browser. Uh, <laughs> That's frustrating because I'm trying to tweet it out. <laughs> we got a producer for the show. Um yeah, like hundred percent. Like it was shocking in that Florida game. Where <laughs> just some of those plays, like those those defensive backs. It's not the best of the DBs in America, but like just how open Tennessee receivers were sometimes during that game. You're just like, how do you even let that happen? This is not even a bust. Like there's nobody within 10 yards of this guy. Like <laughs> what happened? Um, but uh, that's... I think we'll see more teams start running this offense. Yeah. But like we talked about before, it's not something that you can just say, we're going to do this and then it's done. There's so much that you have to coach. It's not something you can break out all the time and run it effectively. It's something that Josh Heupel from day one had to, I mean, they had to start over from scratch and you had, they had to have that spring practice and that fall practice to really go through this stuff and to get guys to where they run it exactly where they need to be. They give the ball to the referee, the, the right referee to spot it. They don't throw it across the field and risk the referee dropping it and having to go get it so he can spot it. It's such a, very it's intriguing to me because everybody Tennessee runs it so well and I don't think that's talked about enough how well Josh Heupel and his staff have coached these guys to be exactly where they need to be like they never look confused on offense they're always in the right spot even like Brew McCoy who hasn't even been there that long he's like one of the first wide receivers lined up all the time like he's always exactly where he needs to be and that's what makes it work so well and if you don't coach it the right way it's not going to work and probably my favorite part of the whole thing is that even it's it's down to a, a science to the point where on some plays like receivers just don't do anything they just sit there and, and they don't they, have to because they're split out so, they're split out so wide 
that that DB, you know, if the play's going to the left or even the middle, they're split out so wide that the DB's covering them. By the time they realize that they're not running a route, well, the play's done. Like, the play's already happened. I mean, you hookers hit a guy in stride on the left sideline or, or they've ran the ball up the middle whatever the case the whole point of them is to just pull those defenders away from the play and you're right it is a bit of a breather because they're running so much and they're just streaking down the field that kind of keeps them conditioned and keeps them yeah. uh, from having to, to substitute and, and then allowing the defense to substitute like it's it's that unpredictable that you literally might just have receivers that just stand there instead of actually going anywhere. But uh, yeah, I, Crazy Nug says Oklahoma runs a version of it with guys who used to work with Hypel. Yeah, Jeff um, Levy is out there as the yeah. OC. I, I even wondered that final. You, you sort of mentioned Missouri was kind of doing that super wide splits. Like you know, it's, a lot of teams do stuff like that. But um, that final drive where they ended up punting and just basically waving the white flag against georgia they ran these three straight just like bomb plays and i kind of wondered if that was inspired in some sense by tennessee's offense because otherwise i don't know what drake lewis was doing in that scenario because i mean it's it it was just bizarre play calling no matter what the inspiration was there um he didn't give his team a chance at all those last three plays, and then he punted the ball and basically gave up. But um, is is this true, Zach? Tennessee just announced that they will be wearing the gray uniforms. Ben says this in the comments. Um, I hadn't seen that yet, but it wouldn't surprise me because LSU does like to wear uh, white uniforms often at home. They kind of do the opposite yes. of, of what some other programs do. So it does open up this huge option uh, or a lot of options for Tennessee. And honestly, like I prefer – when it comes to uniforms, I'm not too overly, you know, dramatic about it. I was glad they wore traditional orange and white for the Florida game. I think the smoky gray uniforms look good at times, but I, I still, I just prefer the orange and white. It's not even about being a traditionalist. I just think it looks better. And I, I thought it looked really good uh, in that Florida game uh, mm-hmm. compared to their blue uniforms. Like, I thought the contrast was really nice. I really don't love the gray uniforms. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really I prefer honest, the black. I think I I really liked them at the time. What well, they did debut them 2015, 20, 2013, and was when the Adidas ones. With the Adidas they, ones, they were a little different. Yeah, this and I don't year. know. I don't know if you were there back then, but I remember when they unveiled the uniforms that year because they updated the uniforms with Adidas. I think that was the last year of Adidas, and they went to Nike in twenty fourteen. Yes. So in twenty thirteen, I think it was their their media day. And it was it's Butch Jones, you know, he's he's first season there. So they have all of us go into the locker room, uh, you know, the the Peyton Manning locker room there at Neyland. And they have a were you there for this? Do you remember this? The the uniforms? I would have I mean, I would have still been in, in college that year. So they had a like catwalk in the locker room, like a runway in the locker room, and they had players coming out and they had like the lights off and you know, lights going down and flashing everywhere. And they had players like modeling the new uniforms and Butch Jones up there, like kind of uh, showing them off and pointing out the little details. And it was the most bizarre thing. I think one of the more bizarre things I've been to at Tennessee, this like (laughs) runway in the locker room deal. I I just put in the comments to Tennessee football, Twitter, 
did officially announce the gray uniforms. I do, I do remember that. <laughs> I the ones with Adidas, the ones with Adidas, I didn't really like at the time. In 2015, 2016, whenever they debuted these, the current Nike gray uniforms, I did like them back then. They've the passage of time has not done them well. I, I don't think with the gray, I, I don't mind it at all. I don't dislike them. I, I like really it on the road like, better. You think, do, you I like mean, this will be, well, this will be the first time they've worn them on the road, but I like yeah. the idea of wearing them on the road a little bit. They didn't wear them in a bowl game. They wore them in the Music City Bowl against Nebraska. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was a, that was a beatdown of Nebraska too, mm-hmm. which was surprising yeah. the way Tennessee ended that season. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I, I just, the black ones I liked a lot more. I especially the the T with the black outline. I thought that was slick as hell. I, oh, the I helmet. really liked it. Yeah. Um, but hey, whatever. I don't care what uniform you wear, win the football game. Yeah, ultimately <laughs> just win. Yeah, that's all all that matters. Um, Danny says I love all the alternate uniforms and I hope we use them more. I am totally well, fine with it. Yeah, I, and I don't honestly, mind either way. What really matters is what the players think and what yeah. recruits think. I mean, ultimately, that is what matters. And if the recruits say, you know, this, this is what we want to do, then, yeah, do it. I mean, don't replace the uniform because orange and white is what makes Tennessee, you know, unique. There's there's not – it's a unique color scheme that you don't see anywhere else in, in sports, especially this particular shade of orange. But, yeah. you know, if it's something that players like and, and recruits, they're the ones out there playing, you know, I think that – I think Josh Heupel – operates in that manner where he kind of lets them decide and 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 pick what they're going to wear each week and we've seen some we've seen more combinations than we used to see we're seeing the orange pants come out more which i i love i i love the the white with the orange on the road like i think that's such a unique look and they don't they don't break it out a lot but like I would have loved the the ideal to me in this game would have been all orange. I just, that's my favorite. That's my favorite thing. Oh, that, that's mine too, for all sure. All orange. Ah, so killer. I but uh, if the recruits like it, if the players like it, wear whatever you want to wear. <laughs> I do not care. Um, yeah, th- this this is a great point. You look good, you feel good. You feel good, you play good. That's what Crazy Nuck says in the comments. One hundred percent. Whatever is gonna you, you dress for the job you want, not the one that you have. So, um, there, there's that. Now, with that in mind, we've talked, we've analyzed the game, sort of given our take on how we think Tennessee will do against LSU. Let's get to the actual prediction now, Zach. Will I be a Debbie Downer once again? Uh, I guess we will see. But I'll throw it to you first. You were right about Tennessee being Florida. I think you were – weren't you pretty close on the score? Uh, I think you – Um, so I had 34-23, and it was what, 38-33? Okay, so I, I hit the 38, actually, didn't I? For the wrong team. Oh, for the wrong – that's right. I, you had Florida <laughs> I had 38, Florida 38. Tennessee 35. So you were right, actually right. very close to the point total. Yeah. Um. But use okay, so 34-23 was yours, and then it was 38-33 final. I'll, I'll say to everybody who's watching, if you want to drop it in the comments, we'll we'll uh, take a look at your predictions too alongside mine and Zach's. Um, so just go ahead and tell us who you think's winning this game. Tennessee, three-and-a-half-point favorite, according to our friends at Superbook Sports. Uh, go bet on the game there. Um, so there's the line. How are you feeling about this one, Zach? So I think I was a little more anxious and nervous about this game before watching LSU and Auburn play. Um, I, I think 
there's obviously potential for Jaden Daniels to go crazy. Uh, he can run the ball. Can they defend it? it? How is it? You know, does he throw the ball more? I, I, I like Tennessee. I like the way it matches up though for Tennessee. I, I don't think this is going to be an offensive explosion game for Tennessee like we saw against Missouri last year. I don't think it's going to be like some fifty point, you know, showing by Tennessee. But I do think they win by double digits. I have Tennessee winning thirty four to twenty four. I think I think it has the potential, like I said earlier, to get a little ugly at times, like some of the games have been this year. Because I think that's how teams think they can beat Tennessee. That it's got to be an ugly game, and I think that's what this will probably be because that's kind of what LSU's played this year. I absolutely agree with the ugly game part, specifically because it's on the road. I think if it was mm -hmm. in Neyland Stadium, Tennessee would have a better chance of playing a, a crisp game. <sighs> so. Tennessee is the better team here. I actually think that three and a half points might even be generous. I thought I thought that the six and a half versus Florida was generous to Florida. Um, I thought Tennessee was a 15-point favorite in that game. They should have been. Ultimately, I think I was right about that outside of Tennessee imploding in the last part of that game. Um, even though I picked Florida to win. I was about to say, yeah, you still picked Florida. <laughs> I didn't go, hey, go back and check. I said Tennessee was a 15-point favorite on favorite. I said that in the show. Yeah. Um, I do think Tennessee wins this game because it is at 11 a.m. Tennessee and Josh Heupel, famously morning folks, Heupel loves the greeting his players at 7 a.m. and all that stuff. I think they'll be ready for the, the, early, uh, the early game coming off of a bye week. Josh Heupel, five and one in his career, six and one in his career. Didn't you look that up last week? I think six and one coming off a of bye week yes, for Heupel. That's correct. His only um, loss was to Memphis at UCF, which came down to a missed field goal. That that was a good rivalry back then, though, because I think mm -hmm. that would have been between him and Norvell. Yep. Um. So I, I think all of those things working in Tennessee's favor. There's a very good reason that LSU fans were pissed about that start time, and still are. Uh, and so I, I do think Tennessee's going to win. In terms of the final score, I agree that I think it's going to be ugly, but I do actually think that Tennessee, kind of similar to the Florida game, they pull away near the end, uh, and then this time they don't fully implode. <laughs> now, LSU, like, we do have to point out, LSU has been good coming back late in games, down 17-0 against Auburn, came back. Um, had to come back against Florida State and <laughs> missed, missed an extra point to lose. Um, and, you know, so they've been good late in games. But I, I think that Tennessee closes them out here uh, because you don't have that supernatural Florida voodoo working over this one. Um, and, and Tennessee, you know, you've, you've won there. What? Uh, you lost the last time you played there, but the time before that in 05, you won. So, mm -hmm. Which was a crazy um, game. It was a Monday night. They were displaced oh, by yeah. the, Hurricane. The game. Rick Clawson yeah. had to come lead them back, which is kind yeah. of 20, funny since he had, had been at LSU before transferring. Yeah. Um, but I'll say 34 to 20. I think they, they win by 14 points, but they don't score 50. Kind of how you said. So what, what was yours? 34-24. 34-24. I will I, say – when me and you have had scores that are in the same range, that usually ends up being pretty close to what happens. So, yeah, maybe this is 
good luck here for for good sign here for Tennessee. Well, speaking into existence there, uh, let's go through what uh, some folks said here in the comments. Tennessee says 38-21. Jeff says 35-21. All of these are for Tennessee, for anyone that's just listening. Uh, Crazy Nug says 45-31. Tennessee, Michael says 41-34. Tennessee, everybody kind of has a little more faith in Tennessee than we do in terms of scoring the ball. I I could see it. I could absolutely see it. Just Tennessee hasn't broken 40 against uh, against a, a better team this yeah. season. Well, I think LSU's going to – they they run the ball a decent amount. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how they beat Auburn. It takes time off the clock. It's less possessions that Tennessee gets. I mean, that's kind of the the reasoning for my lower uh, point total for Tennessee. Yeah. Same. Uh, Danny says forty one thirty balls, and then educated opinion says forty one twenty eight balls. So we're we're actually a little more bullish on the point margin on Tennessee's winning margin over some of these, uh, but we're not as bullish on Tennessee scoring you know forty five points. And this one. Um, so that's that is that. We both think Tennessee will win. I'm not crazy nugs. You're welcome. I didn't choose LSU in this. I, I mean, Tennessee's better team. What, what am I gonna say? And you don't have that that supernatural history with LSU. You I don't think that it carries that same mental block. And you got over that mental block against Florida. Like that has me believing in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was right about my Pittsburgh pick. So I can choose Tennessee and get that right. <laughs> Um, so one one thing about Tennessee that kind of off the field is just the focus of this team. Josh Heupel's done a yeah. really good job of not pretending like the outside noise doesn't exist. Like he's not trying to tell his players to not, you know, to completely ignore it because he knows it's not possible. So why tell them to do something that's just not possible? So he's kind of approached it with this embrace it because it's a privilege to have this noise. It's a privilege to have people talking about you, but it means nothing if you go out and lay an egg in your next game and lose. So I think they've done a really good job of taking a, that was cliche, but it's the right approach. One, one week at a time, not looking ahead, uh, taking your opponent very seriously, no matter who it is. So I think they're in the right mindset to not really have a letdown. I also think that the bye week in addition to getting guys healthy allowed Tennessee some time to emotionally come down from that Florida win. Yeah. That, that could have been a, you know, you go into a, uh, the very next week against a team like LSU on the road. I feel like that could have been a, a setup for disaster for Tennessee. So you've kind of got the Florida games two weeks ago, you know, whenever this game kicks off, that's out of your system. You've had a week to kind of decompress from that and then start getting ready for LSU. So I think that really works into Tennessee's favor too. Absolutely. There, there's a lot of working for Tennessee in this one. I think it's it's going to be a little ugly if if they do pull away. Like I think they will. I think it'll be late. It's going to be close and stressful. <laughs> and, uh, that's uh, the way that it is with Tennessee football. I think that's that's the Josh Heupel system now. Just the way that it goes. Um, you win this game, you get to five and zero, oh, and it's the scenario that we talked about before the season, where if you you beat Florida and LSU, I mean, you're almost guaranteed a shot at nine win regular season and ten with the bowl, and really, you're really setting yourself up for ten and two, like you said. So, yeah. this is really one of the more important games left on the schedule. That Kentucky game looms large because that's going to be a tough game, though. I'm, I don't think. I think Will Levis is almost taking a step back at this point. I mean, he was kind of the reason that they lost to Ole Miss. Yeah, him he not was. taking care of the ball. So, I, I mean, that's a game where Kentucky didn't have an answer for Tennessee's offense last year. Uh, if Tennessee can just defend him a little better, that's a game they should win by multiple scores too. But 
they're a well-coached team, so we'll, you know, we'll get to that later on uh, this month. But to me, this is the biggest game left on the schedule as far as winnable games. I mean, Alabama and Georgia games, obviously huge, but you go into those games with no expectations. Yeah. You, you'll be almost not carefree in that game, but you'll, you'll just be, there's no pressure. It's not like the Florida game where you had to win the Florida game. Like if you, if you lose a game where you're favored by 10 points at home uh, against a new coach, that would have just, it would have, it would have been tough for Tennessee fans to swallow and to reconcile like, okay, this is, you know, Josh Heupel starting to fall into some of the same stuff that the old uh, other coaches before him, you know, fell into. So you avoided that pitfall. Now you got another one here and it's going to be tough because it's, it's on the road. Yeah. Educated opinion says hooker must stay healthy. That's mm-hmm. she said, I heard him tell Dobbs last week that he doesn't know how to slide. Yeah. That's not great. Yeah. He was on one of those, <laughs> like one of those uh, NIL things that they did. Smoky yeah. Mountain, one of those things i saw that as well it's like yeah you you somebody's got to have a talk with hooker yeah. i mean i'm sure he played baseball growing up most of these guys did like surely you had sliding practice i mean or a little league you had a practice devoted to nothing but sliding it's the same thing just like you're going yeah. in second base get down uh and the beyond that uh so what was, i was gonna say to your point before now i don't know i don't know what it was regardless that's it. I think that's our prediction for the Tennessee game. We both think that Tennessee will win. And uh, any anything else we might have missed, Zach, that you wanted to bring up this week? Any even non-Tennessee stuff? Because there was a lot during that bye week that happened. But there was uh, a lot during that bye week. Uh, specifically, your Titans just about uh, blowing it against the Colts. How do you feel about that? I know how you feel, but tell everybody else how you feel. Yeah, I mean, this is the end of the show. If you're watching <laughs> at this point, you're a real fan. Huge, I'm a huge Titans guy. I just, I'm about had it with Rabel and his zero points in the second half. Then he gets asked, and they almost blow it. They should have blown it. Jonathan Taylor fumbles the ball and gives him a gift, and that's why they won. Um, no, the defensive line was really good. The That's, you know, fine. They And they're going to be good as long as Jeffrey Simmons is on that line. But zero points in the second half. Then they get he gets asked in the post game about, "Hey, you didn't score any points in that second half. Is that concerning at all?" And he says, "Well, that's NFL football. That's NFL football, right?" <laughs> Shut up, Mike. Get better as a coach, you idiot. It makes hit him. I'm done with his arrogance, dude. He this whole like we're gonna score no points in the second half. They have scored in four games so far this season. They have scored three points in second halves. Ooh. Three points combined. Do they do they play the eight quarters? Do they play Buffalo this year? Is that on the schedule for them? Uh, oh, they already they did. They Buffalo. Oh, that that's right. Yes, yes. That's because that's one of the games. Buffalo's only given up seven points in the second half all year, and that was in their loss to the Dolphins. Uh, Oh yeah. So that's not a surprise. Yeah. (laughs) Ben says me and Charlie got into it. We did on Twitter last night. Oh, okay. That that was pleasant. Charlie's the least grateful winner that you'll see. (laughs) I love that the Titans beat the Colts. It's always so nice. That game used the, the Colts used to be Florida for the Titans. I mean, it used to just be a total head game when Andrew Luck was still there. Oh yeah. I mean, the Colts stink now. They're terrible. And you should have won that game by 30 points. Like you were up by 20 at the half. I and I just ah, 
it, it's the thing about like the future. Yeah, you might win this game now, but Rabel with that attitude and his whole like, well, I'm right, you can go screw yourself. That whole thing, you're not winning the Super Bowl. Right? That's not happening. This is not going to happen unless you're like Belichick and you have Tom Brady, because Belichick's that way, and that's why Rabel's that way is because he's a Belichick guy. Um, but you know, I don't think Tom Brady's walking through that door, Mike. So maybe humble yourself a little bit. Ugh. Anywho, I am glad that they won, though. <laughs> I will say <laughs> it's very apparent. Very apparent. <laughs> they, they beat the Colts. That's I am actually glad about that. Oh, and Zach, Zach, we do. I apologize. The Mets, man. Oh yeah. What what happened? I mean, all they had to do was win one game, and it was just I don't know. The Braves are the better team. I mean, they are, and I've known that. <sighs> you know, I, I understand the Braves are the better team. They gave they had a rough start to the season and they gave the Mets a big head start and they kind of had to make up ground all year. And the Mets are a good team too. I mean, they're going to win almost a hundred games. The Braves are better. Um, and, it, you know, they just kept chipping away and chipping away and they, and they showed this weekend when it counted, they wanted it more and uh, they pitched better. Uh, they hit better with runners in scoring position and they're going to, you know, they win tonight or the Mets lose tonight. They're going to clinch the division, which is yep. all but certainly going to happen. So That's yeah, tough. it is what it is. Yeah. I'm I'm a Mets fan, so it's not something that I'm not used to. I'm I can handle this. I've been handling it for quite some time now. I saw some real Mets or uh, saw some real Mets nihilism there on the on the timeline over the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't I, I did not handle it well in the moment. Uh, which I never do if you were in my house at any point during the Mets game, whenever they go down like four to nothing. It could be a July game that against the Reds and they're four to down four to nothing. They're like one seven games in a row. And I'm I'm like you with the Titans. I mean, I'm like, this is it. I'm fire everybody, cut everybody, start over. This is dumb. I don't even know why I watch this. Yeah, the and see Danny in the commentary says, Go brave. Sorry, Zach. Uh, so many. No, they're good. Hey, they're they. I'll tell you this. You know, I'm a I'm a big baseball guy. This Braves team this year is better than the one that won the World Series last they're year. They're good. So it's going to be. Good. I think they're better than the Dodgers too. I said that on Twitter, and they're like, "Well, the Dodgers won 110 games." I'm like, "Well, yes, the Braves just had a terrible April for some reason, but since then they've been the better team." So we'll see what happens in the postseason. Well, there you go. We we can both, e- even though the Titans did win we can mourn over our team there. Uh, <laughs> uh, just go beat lsu this weekend that's really what i care about yes because ultimately that is the thing that will make me the happiest i am mm. a bigger tennessee fan than i am a fan of anything else other than my wife maybe uh so there is that thank you to everyone for watching uh, and for commenting and weighing in this was another amazing edition of the show we very literally owe this show to everybody who watches. You're too good to us. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports.com, Facebook, all that stuff. Blah, blah, blah. You know where to find us. You're here. Um, yeah, that's it. Go beat LSU. I want to be talking about 5-0 and in a 10-2 season next week. That would be so amazing. Let's make it happen. All right. Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan. We'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later.